Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Dead on the Delta, an African Adventure. I'm author Sherry Knowlton, and this is the fourth in a series, a limited series of podcasts, focused both on my new book, Dead on the Delta, and its Botswana, Africa setting. Today's episode is Wildlife Poaching, a Dirty Business. While poaching will be my main topic, I also want to talk about Botswana, and uh, the last trip I took there when I researched this book. We'll finish the session with some important information on poaching. Uh, But first, well, let me start with a little reminder about the background for this limited series of podcasts. Uh, In celebration of the launch of my fifth book in the Alexa Williams suspense series, Dead on the Delta, Um, I decided to start this adventure podcast series that talks, yes, about my book, but more broadly it focuses on the Botswana setting and some of the themes that play a role in the novel. Uh, The book was launched February 16th, uh, and I started these podcasts shortly thereafter. Dead on the Delta takes readers on a hair-raising journey to Botswana, The main character, kick-ass lawyer Alexa Williams, is spending four months there uh, conducting lion research with her boyfriend, Reese. She's looking forward to witnessing the elemental life and death struggle of the wild, but she never imagines that she'll become one of the hunted on the remote Okavanga Delta. As I said, the book takes place in Botswana, Uh, And Botswana is probably my favorite safari destination because of the area's wild beauty. The Okavanga Delta especially is very remote. Um, The road system there in many areas is bad to non-existent. Uh, So we've often flown from camp to camp in small airplanes uh, just to, to get from one place to the other. So where exactly is Botswana, for those of you who might not be as familiar with the continent? uh, Africa is, in fact, a huge continent. It's four times the size of North America in landmass. And just for orientation, Botswana is a mid-sized country in southern Africa. Its borders touch South Africa, a big country that many of us know, to the south, Uh, Namibia is to the west and north, a bit of Zambia is also to the north, and then Zimbabwe lies uh, mostly to the east. Victoria Falls, which bridges the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia uh, to the northeast of Botswana, is not very far away. So that can help uh, you orient exactly where Botswana is. When I was a child, Botswana, I'm dating myself here, Botswana was known as Betuana land and ruled by a tribal king, had a tribal system. 
um, actually a tribal system uh, exists in many respects there today as well. But in those days, the country was a protectorate of the British crown, uh, and then it became the Republic of Botswana in 1966. Today, Botswana is a democracy. It's long been one of Africa's most stable and wealthy countries. Its economy is fueled by conflict-free diamonds and tourism, uh, and it's one of the fastest growing in the world. However, HIV-AIDS is rampant. 25% uh, of adults in Botswana are effect infected with the disease, uh, and that's despite years of free, antro free retrovirals um, that, you know, are, are given out to, to fight the disease. So it continues to be a, a big problem. Since tourism is such a major part of the economy and a big driver, uh, Botswana has had over the years a history of aggressive conservation policies. Um, and as, as a result of those uh, aggressive policies, uh, Botswana has one of the largest elephant populations in Africa. Um, it also has most of the other big species, big and small, that you would associate with the African wild, the African continent. And then another fun fact for those who watch uh, PBS uh, or read Alexander McCall Smith's books, you might be familiar with Botswana because it's the setting of the number one ladies detective agency. The Okavanga Delta, which is where the, the name from the book comes from, Dead on the Delta, it lies in the northern part of Botswana. Uh, it's a unique ecosystem. Uh, it has a it's basically a swampy inland delta, uh, and it sits in the middle of an otherwise fairly arid region. Uh, the famous Kalahari Desert actually occupies a lot of the southern part of uh, Botswana. But the Okavanga gets water uh, in a seasonal flood, um, and the water trickles down from the north from the highlands of Angola. Uh, over the course of several months, Waters in the delta rise slowly until they reach a peak. Uh, and then uh, during that time, um, if there's big lagoons. The channels are, are uh, deep. Uh, the area becomes rich with wildlife um, because they all come for the water. Um, and it's a great safari destination. Um, at that time of year. But it's also a great safari destination um, at the other part of the year when the waters start to recede. Um, and just as the waters rose over time, they recede over time until the area can become, for the most part, dry and sandy. There, there's still the Okavanga River, there's still the main channels, but 
the surrounding areas, some of which were covered in water just a few months earlier, um, become huge sand pits. So it's, it's a very interesting uh, sort of natural phenomenon. Uh, my husband and I, Mike, have been there when the waters are high, and we've been there when the area is dry and sandy. Uh, and you see, you know, different things have a different experience each part of the year. Tourists, wildlife enthusiasts, and conservationists often wax poetic about the Okavanga Delta. Uh, many refer to it as Eden on Earth. Uh, in fact, there's a television documentary series by the famed conservationists and photographers Derek and Beverly Joubert that I've often thought had the most apt title for Okavango. They call it Okavango River of Dreams. Now, Mike and I had been to, to the Okavango several times on safari, but when I sat down to write this book, um, I realized that there were a lot of details that I, I just didn't know. Uh, you know, it's one thing to go on safari, have a lot of fun, uh, you know, sort of take each experience by the moment, uh, get up, caught up in that daily rhythm uh, and the adventure, and bring home wonder, wonderful memories. It's another thing to then have to sit and write about uh, different aspects of things like animal behavior, the geography of the delta, the ins and outs of Botswana conservation politics, and to, to learn uh, about uh, poaching from various angles. Plus, I'd never been to the capital city, Habarone, um, nor had I spent any real time in the small town that's known as the gateway to the Okavanga Delta, Mon. And I wanted to do both of those because I wanted to describe both of those places in the book. So Mike and I spent four weeks in Botswana doing research. Tough, I know. <laughs> uh, most of the time was on safari. We uh, spent part of the time with four friends. Uh, we had a private guide, and uh, that was great for me, for my research, because he was so knowledgeable um, about things like wildlife, uh, about even, uh, you know, some of the the poaching aspects, uh, conservation policy. Uh, so he was really helpful to my research. We also went to Habarone and Mon uh, in the capital city. We met with a number of people who were able to brief me on different uh, aspects of conservation policy, which uh, were important to, to, to what I wanted to write about. Uh, and then uh, perhaps the the most fun part was we went back to the Delta for a few days and spent time with a young woman lion researcher uh, named Robin Kotzka. Um, she spent time in the bush with us educating me about what a lion researcher does, about her projects and her day-to-day -day life. Uh, in fact, I interviewed Robin from Botswana on the, the last episode of this podcast. So if you missed it, you may want to go out online and, and find it. So moving from my specific, you know, that, that was my research experience. 
Um, but one of the main things that I had caught my attention uh, and has been a concern for me for quite a while, and I think it is for anybody who has spent time on safari um, and grown attached to the existence of all this wildlife uh, in Africa, is poaching uh, and also the viability of these animals to survive uh, in the wild. Wild animal populations in Africa, as well as other remote places in the world, are shrinking, uh, sometimes at a very alarming, alarming rate. Uh, many species of animals are endangered or threatened. Uh, some are on the brink of extinction. Uh, and humans play a really major role in these animals' precarious situations. Uh, and and I, I firmly believe that we must also play a role in bringing these animals back from the brink. Awareness is key, and that is one of the reasons that I wanted to focus on poaching and dead in the Delta. But um, I, I don't want to be simplistic, so uh, let me talk just a little bit about the broader issues for species decline, of which poaching is just one. Um, the primary causes for decline include habitat loss. Uh, as the human population grows, cities, farms, other human activities encroach on the lands where animals live, and that makes it harder for them to survive. Uh, climate change is another factor. As the planet warms, the environments in which these animals live, just like this is something we're experiencing as humans, um, the, the, those environments are changing. Things like melting sea ice, forest and brush fires, rising temperatures are affecting the, the vegetation, the food supply, and more. Trophy hunting is a, another issue. Um, it, not just in Africa, you know, that's an issue out west, other places as well. Um, many county, uh, countries uh, around the world now have, and in Africa, have banned trophy hunting. But others in Africa especially do still permit limited hunting of lions and other species, even, even ones whose numbers are dwindling. Uh, this remains a controversial topic. Uh, there are many people who present the, the point of view that um, the existence of trophy, trophy hunting helps uh, maintain some of these populations because there is a, an interest, an economic interest, to keep these types of animals um, alive and able to be hunted, some of them, some portion of them to be hunted. Um, the United States uh, itself has uh, made it harder to bring home uh, import trophies uh, from hunting, and even that in the U.S. remains a controversial topic with policies becoming more stringent than loosening up a bit, um, depending on political persuasion of who's in power. Uh, another uh, impact on animals comes from war, um, and uh, I know most of you are familiar with some of the wars that uh, have happened in different countries in Africa. And what happens there um, is that wild animals are killed in the crossfire uh, during battles, uh, but 
probably a bigger factor is that when starving human populations are ravaged by war, they eat whatever they can. Um, and so they turn to wild animals for bushmeat to, to stay alive. I know we were in uh, Uganda, um, I don't know, maybe about a decade back, uh, and uh, they were just coming back from uh, some fighting in different parts of the country, uh, and the animal populations were just beginning to recover. And then finally, poaching. Uh, some animals are prized by humans for their body parts. Ivory is used just mainly for decoration. Uh, rhino horn, tiger and lion parts. I know tigers, we're not talking about Africa, but we're talking about India there. Um, but they're all used in traditional medicine, um, and the reality is that that's mostly a tradition in Asian countries. So let's talk a little bit about lions first. Uh, there are only about 20,000 lions left in the world, and nearly all of them are in Africa. Uh, lions in the world have disappeared from 94% of their historic range in Africa. Um, and continent-wide in Africa, their numbers have halved just in the last 25 years. Lions are listed as a species as vulnerable to extinction uh, by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, which does this classification. And that's sad. I, I mean, there's nothing more magnificent than the sight of lions in the wild. So how terrible is it to think that there could be a day when they only exist in zoos or on wealthy people's game farms in the United States and elsewhere. Um, probably some of you saw Tiger King, so you have an idea um, that, of what that life is like for a lion, even if born in captivity. Uh, there's an interesting, fairly recent stressor on the lion population, which comes from South Africa. This is one of the things that I learned about when I was in Botswana. I hadn't known about this issue. Um, but South Africa is one of the few, if perhaps only, countries that allow lion breeding farms. Uh, these farms breed lions mainly for private trophy hunting. I think that was the origin of them, um, and uh, that's profitable for them. Uh, uh, private trophy hunting arrangements um, often have hunters who will pay as much as $50,000 to kill a lion uh, and bring home its head and skin uh, for, the, for a trophy. Um, but these farms have sort of expanded their activities, um, and they sell lion bones now to Asian markets uh, where they are used in traditional medicine and to make aphrodisiacs. Uh, to some extent, um, the, this uptick in the use of lion bones uh, is filling the gap left by the lack of availability of tiger bones. It used to be tiger bones um, that countries like China, Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, Laos 
um, use for things like tiger wine, uh, which is very popular. Uh, but tiger populations um, have fallen fairly rapidly, um, and partly because of that, they're being better protected. Uh, and in addition, in 1993, China banned the import of tiger bones, you know, all to coalesce around saving the tigers. But now, voila, um, no tigers, but the market substitutes lion bones, and many of these come from these lion breeding farms. But paradoxically, you'd think if there are lion breeding farms, they would fill that, uh, that need, uh, but... Uh, it instead, uh, the lion farms have, in some regard, um, created an additional uh, need for lion poaching or an incentive for lion poaching because there's a, now a greater black market that exists for items like lion bones, paws, and teeth. Uh, and because South Africa does limit the number of lion skeletons that can be exported each year, um, the black market and poaching is filling um, a, a, a bigger need than these farms can fill. Um, it's also interesting that the U.S. limits on trophy hunting uh, may have made some of these farms uh, turn to the lion bone market to make up the, the shortfall because not as many U.S. hunters come to do trophy hunting anymore. So that's a real issue um, that uh, is something that I don't think gets as much attention, lion poaching. But what does get a lot of, poach, of uh, attention is elephant poaching, uh, which was one of the core elements uh, in debt on the Delta. Uh, and it, it still is going on, although, as I'll talk about, uh, perhaps there's a, a lull or a, a permanent decline, which is good. Um, there is an actual international ban on trade in ivory. But according to the World Life, Wildlife Federation, despite that, um, African elephants are still being poached in large numbers. Uh, and these thousands of elephants are killed every year for their ivory tusks. It's carved into ornaments and jewelry, uh, and China is the biggest consumer market for such products. The, the ban on international trade goes back to 1989, um, and it was precipitated by just unprecedented poaching uh, in the 1980s when an estimated 100,000 elephants were being killed each year. Uh, and in some regions of Africa, up to 80% of the herds were lost. Uh, the ban has allowed some populations to recover, uh, especially where elephants are better uh, protected. And Botswana is a good example of that, although there still are animals poached each year in Botswana. Uh, but um, the, the sort of the, the graph seems to go up and down in terms of poaching. The, the ban helped reduce the huge numbers, um, but then it started to creep up again, perhaps not to pre-ban levels, uh, but 
increasing demand in Asia um, has meant that there's an upsurge in poaching, and that led to further steep declines in forest elephants and some savanna elephant populations. Um, in uh, not far distant years, um, about 100 tons of ivory was being poached and exported from Africa, uh, and about 20,000 elephants a year killed. The good news is that in the past year, there seems to be a reduction. Um, you know, and the, the question I don't think that there's an answer to yet is, are all of the measures that um, both governments and non-governmental organizations are taking, are they beginning to work? Uh, or is this blip more due to the pandemic? and people not getting out and about or having disposable income to purchase ivory um, during COVID. I, I think only time will tell, um, but the good news is that the number of elephants last year may have declined. Um, and along with that, the price for ivory is declining. So that will um, perhaps deter people if the economic motive is n not as high as it used to be. Um, going back to 2014, the wholesale price uh, for ivory was $4,600 per pound, and it's dropped now to $1,600. But to put that in perspective, what that means is that for even under today's, quote, low prices, um, a single elephant tusk could bring $150,000, um, $300,000 for two. So at this point, elephants are still classified as vulnerable, and in a couple of areas of Africa and uh, Asia, uh, they're classified as heading toward extinction. Hopefully this reduction in poaching uh, will be more than temporary and will also um, ensure that elephant populations um, stay uh, at least at their current levels, if not um, increase. But then you'll have to think back to these other stressors on um, wild animals that I talked about earlier, like habitat loss, um, and, you know, put the, all of that. It, it's just making poaching better um, or ameliorating the amount of poaching uh, isn't going to entirely eliminate the problems for African wildlife. I don't really have time today to go into a lot of detail, but I, I did want to mention that, of course, there are other species that are poached as well. Um, one of the most well-known, I, I believe, are rhinos who are poached for their horn. Uh, once again, um, that horn is prized in various Asian markets um, for traditional medicines as an Af and as an aphrodisiac. But uh, perhaps a less well-known species that's 
currently being poached and perhaps being driven into extinction, um, most of all in Asia, but now because of the declining populations in Asia, uh, poachers are turning to Africa and setting their sights on pangolins. Um, I've never actually seen a live pangolin every time we've been to Africa. I like really, really want to see a pangolin, although they are out mostly at night, um, so they're difficult to see. Um, they vary in size, but they're not huge animals. They're, they're fairly small. And the best way I can describe what they look like is like an anteater, um, but they're covered in these big, thick scales. And about 2.7 million a year are lost to poaching. Um, although trafficking in pangolin is banned internationally, most of these animals uh, find their way, dead animals, find their way through the black market to China and Vietnam, uh, the two countries who uh, are prize their meat um, un, um, among the upper class in those two countries. Apparently, pangolin meat is quite a delicacy. Um, the other part that's more used is their scales, um, and that goes, once again, into, into traditional medicine. So what can we do to help save these animals who are in trouble um, in Africa, and, and this is true for animals in trouble around the world. Um, you know, number one, don't buy these products. Um, you know, ivory sales are banned in the United States, but uh, if you're overseas, you could encounter ivory in a market. Don't, don't do it. Just say no. Um, Similarly, if you're uh, in an Asian South or Southeast Asian country um, and somebody offers you tiger wine, uh, which could be made from lion parts, not tiger parts, uh, once again, don't do it. Don't, don't take the sample. Or don't buy traditional medicine products that contain wild animal parts. Number two, and probably the one that more of us are, are able to do, um, especially these days when we're not really traveling too much, um, donate to the many conservation groups and non-governmental organizations that are working to save these animals. Um, and they're doing it through funding conservation programs, through funding habitat protection, by working with uh, international uh, lawmaking bodies and national lawmaking bodies um, to protect animals, to punish poachers, to ramp up uh, their uh, protection of animals in the wild. Um, they also work, often some of them, with low income, I'm not Sorry, not low incomes, often low income, but also local communities to find win-win situations for living in proximity to wild animals. You know, when you think about it, it's, it's easy to say, um, you know, save the elephants sitting from in my living room in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, but if there's an elephant in my vegetable garden, uh, 
it might not be quite as easy to be who's to you know feel kindly about that animal that's destroying uh, what I'm growing to feed my kids for the coming months. So trying to come up with solutions that protect villages and uh, villagers from wild animals uh, and increasing their uh, appreciation of the value of these wild animals from an economic standpoint for tourism purposes um, is something that a lot of these organizations do. Uh, and speaking of tourism, um, that's the number three thing that you can do. Uh, wildlife tourism gives African countries an economic reason to preserve wild animal species. If people are coming to pay to see these animals uh, and the country is earning money from it, their citizens are earning money, then that is a, an important incentive to preserve wild animal populations. So if you can afford it, take a safari. You'll love it, by the way. And finally, teach your children and other young people about the importance of wild animal preservation to the health of our planet. You know, a really good example that I like to think of is uh, that we can all learn from is what happened in the Grand Teton ecosystem when wolves were allowed to be hunted a few years back. Um, and they were hunted nearly to extinction uh, in those specific areas. Uh, and the entire ecosystem fell apart uh, there was, uh, you know, over it, it, the elk herds became huge. Uh, there was overgrazing that affected the water supply. Uh, there's lots of stuff written out uh, out there about this, but suffice it to say that people realized, oops, this is a problem. Um, they reintroduced wolves into the ecosystem, and Things are now, have now stabilized. And I think that's an important illustration of something that Henry David Thoreau said years ago when he made his, what I think is a famous statement, in wildness is the preservation of the world. And I think nowhere does that statement apply more than in Botswana uh, and the other countries of Africa that have these wild spaces um, and huge wildlife populations that are essential to the planet. So with that, I'm out of time. Um, I hope you enjoyed hearing about Botswana, uh, a bit about my research trip. But most important, I hope you learned a little about the ongoing dangers of poaching wild animals in Africa and elsewhere. Um, I have to admit, I'm hardly an expert. Um, I learned uh, a lot as I was researching dead on the Delta, uh, but uh, certainly there are uh, people who spend their whole lives uh, on these issues, and there are tons of resources uh, to explore on the Internet, in libraries, and more, uh, including documentaries, uh, if you're interested. 
I do want to remind you that uh, Dead in the Delta is available in print or Kindle editions at most bookstores and online retailers, including Sunbury Press, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and as I leave you today, um, as I've been doing on these po- podcasts, I'll leave you with an Africa quote. This one by Rudyard Kipling. He said, one cannot resist the lure of Africa. Please tune in next week when I'll have a special guest, Donald Roebuck from AAA Central Penn Travel. And he and I are going to share some tips for taking a safari. I'll speak to you then. And thanks for joining me on today's African adventure. Thank you.